0: It's a big world, and survival depends on the quality of your decisions. You need a diverse viewpoint to see all the opportunities around you. Now is the time, and this is the place. This is the Ellis Martin Report. When you hear us mention companies doing any kind of business, there's a large probability, if not a certainty, that the Ellis Martin Report is compensated for that mention. We're telling you this so you can make your own independent evaluation of these opportunities. Also, as with most leading-edge opportunities, if you can't afford to potentially lose your investment, don't risk it. We make no personal recommendations about any sponsor on this program. We encourage you to do your own research. Yes, we do as much due diligence as possible, but nothing is completely predictable in this big world. Here's an idea. Subscribe to The Ellis Martin Report. It's easy and it's free. Visit us at ellismartinreport.com. And now, here's Ellis Martin.
1: Welcome to the program. The following interviews were conducted after the onset of massive media coverage in the U.S. Regarding the deadly coronavirus and the subsequent dramatic effect it has had on the economy and our financial system, with the exception of the first interview with Rick Rule of Sprout Global, our interviews with Trey Wasser of Illegal Royalties, David Cole of EMX Royalty Corp, and David Suda of Gold Terra Corp are sponsored. This means that those companies have paid for these interviews. We're not allowed to make any specific investment recommendations on this program. We only ask that you consider the logic factual content, and opinions of our guest and the host, that being me. albeit will be advised as it all may be. Forward-looking statements, no doubt, shall be included in today's presentations. Conferences, social gatherings, investor events, lunches, dinners, and such for the time being are not an option for any of us. You can continue to obtain potential investment considerations by listening to the Ellis Martin Report. Thanks for joining us. Stay safe. Let's begin today's show. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me for a conversation with Rick Rule, the president and CEO of Sprott U.S. Holdings Incorporated. Mr. Rule is considered one of the top experts on natural resource securities investing. At Sprott, he leads a highly skilled team of earth science and finance professionals who also enjoy a wide reputation for resource investment management. Rick, thanks for joining me today. It's great to speak with you again.
2: A pleasure to be with you. Thank you for having me on.
1: I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about your take on the market right now. We can predict all we want, but we really don't know, or do we? How do you think this is going to shake out for the physical metal? I'm talking about gold and the equities.
2: Well, I love your use of the word predict. Buffett famously says that predictions tell you a lot about the predictor and very little about the future. And I sort of subscribe to that. Nobody can know what's going to happen. What we're talking about is a range of probabilities and investors and speculators who understand that and who organize their portfolio around probabilities, but understanding that there's no certain outlook for the future are those who are, I think, going to do better than others. The first thing to know is that we are absolutely going to, in the near term, experience volatility, as we have in the past. And you have to accommodate yourself to volatility. You have to be prepared to expect it and use it, rather than being used by it. The second thing is that investors can cope with volatility by having liquidity. Cash gives you both the courage and the tools to take advantage of volatility, rather than being taken advantage of by volatility. So remember that the most important thing that you can do is to prepare yourself. Your greatest risk isn't actually the government, it isn't the coronavirus, anything else. The greatest risk that you have is to the left of your right ear and to the right of your left ear, and being prepared is how you get through circumstances like this. So now let's get away from the editorial and talk about the circumstances and probabilities. Traditionally, gold has done well during periods of time when people were concerned about the purchasing power of fiat currencies particularly the U.S. dollar, and particularly the U.S. dollar is expressed by the U.S. 10-year Treasury. If past this prologue, the circumstance that we have in front of us is tailor-made for the gold price. The likely policy response to credit market challenges, equity market challenges, the coronavirus and the economic impact of the coronavirus scare will almost certainly be continued artificially low interest rates and continued fiscal and economic stimulus. If we look at the U.S. 10-year treasury right now, the world's benchmark security, we see that the 10-year is paying, what, 60 basis points, six-tenths of 1%. The Congressional Budget Office CPI stated rate of inflation is 1.6%, which means that if you store your savings in the U.S. 10-year Treasury, you are guaranteed to lose at least 1% in purchasing power a year. Gold does very well during periods of negative real interest rates, and we are in a period of negative real interest rates. So my suspicion is that in the next three months, six months, 12 months, the the response in gold markets relative to almost any other asset class that you could own will be very good. Gold has continued to be strong. My suspicion is it gets stronger. People who are new to the gold market say, why in the crash didn't gold soar? Why did physical gold sell off too? The answer to that is that in a panic, everything sells off, and it sells off for two reasons. People go to cash, cash, folding cash, liquidity, when they're afraid. The other thing is that many sell decisions aren't made by investors or speculators. They're made by margin clerks, people who hold physical commodities in a leveraged account or leveraged ETFs. Uh, or hold gold as part of a broader holding that is leveraged, sell because they have to, not because they want to. A lot of the selling that we saw in gold came from uh, hedge funds and institutional investors that were leveraged long a variety of asset classes, including gold. This will pass. We've seen it before. We will see it again. The outlook for the gold equities is more challenged, but I think actually brighter. In the first instance, gold equities relative to gold were at low prices, very low prices, and gold equities relative to equities prices in general were at the lowest levels or about the lowest levels that we have seen for 40 years. At the end of this interview, Ellis, I'll give you an email address that your listeners' an email to for a copy of the Barron's gold mining index chart, which shows that we are approaching the bottom, at the bottom, or just off the bottom of a bear market in gold equities that is really, really historic. You will also see that in eight recoveries from similar oversold bottoms over 40 or 45 years, the gold mining index has increased between 150 and 1,200% in periods of time as short as 17 months and as long as 42 months. So the lesson that the people will see from the chart goes very much to your question. If history repeats itself, the gold equities are cheap, and the recovery, when it comes, could be very, very dramatic. You are taking more risk, obviously, buying the gold equities than you are buying the gold, but you are doing it for higher reward. Your strategy really depends on who you are as a speculator, what you can afford to risk both financially and psychologically. The first stocks that move in a gold stock rally are the largest, highest quality, and most liquid. They are also the ones simultaneously that have the least risk. When gold investors work up the courage to come into the gold equities markets, they start with the big best and most liquid stocks. And more importantly, when the generalist investors come into the sector, they do the same things. So expect any gold stock rally to be led by the biggest and the best names. Better values exist in the tier that is below that, which is exhibiting very nice free cash flow yields and very strong balance sheets in historical terms, and also could benefit from takeovers, both horizontal takeovers as second tier producers acquire. other second-tier producers to grow, and also takeovers from larger producers who seek to use their greater liquidity and lower cost of capital to grow their businesses at the expense of smaller competitors. The very high-quality juniors have been sold off in really dramatic fashion in the last four to six weeks. And I will probably be concentrating my own efforts on the very, very high-quality juniors that were simply too expensive for me to own (laughs) until recent events. So how your listeners and subscribers take advantage of the situation will depend as much on their individual circumstances they do on the markets. So you are getting
1: ready to use some of that powder, aren't you? And are you going to be looking at all three tiers that you mentioned? The majors, which some of my other friends that are fund managers are investing in right now, and then the mid-tiers and, let's say, juniors with partnerships with some of the majors?
2: I have begun tiptoeing into all three sectors, Already, I would suspect that most of my own investments and investments that I make on behalf of clients will take place in the below $1 billion market cap space simply because information in that space is much less broadly distributed, and Sprott spends a fortune trying to outcompete other managers in understanding that space. Whether or not that's appropriate for your listeners really depends more on your listeners. It's appropriate for us because we've done it for 40 or 45 years, and it's treated us very well over time.
1: I wanted to ask you about some of the calls that you're getting without mentioning any names. Are your clients, Sprott clients, both in the physical metal area,
2: feeling very calm right now? I think the question goes to the client response. We are making the assumption that our client base is large enough that it's probably representative of the precious metals and precious metals equities markets. The answer to that is that the response is varied, but generally very, very positive. We're seeing extraordinarily strong interest in the Sprott exchange-traded precious metals product with new buyers and asset management growth that's really dramatic in a historic sense. We are seeing the same interest being reported to us by physical bullion dealers. There's very strong demand for physical gold, whether in the form of our own exchange-traded trusts or in the more conventional physical products. We are seeing long-term clients of SPROT, people who have been with us for 20 or 30 years through prior cycles, calling, looking for guidance on deployment. That is, saying, okay, I've been through three or four prior declines. I understand what the market likely looks like coming out of this. Let's get to work. Let's put some money in the sector. On the newer clients, the people who came into the market a year ago or six months ago when the gold equities were beginning to do well before the panic, we're seeing panic. Their thesis has been questioned. Many of them expected an immediate response of gold and gold stocks to the upside in the circumstance that we have experienced, not understanding that this is inconsistent with history. So we're seeing a variety of responses, but on balance, I would suggest that the response that we're seeing is much more aggressive than other groups of investors in other sectors would be seeing.
1: Well, fortunes certainly have been made in the turnaround from events like this. Have you factored into your calculus over years a Black Swan event, uh, not predicting when they're going to happen, of course, but you certainly are leery of them? Haven't you, been?
2: Yeah, sure. The nature of a black swan event is that they're difficult to anticipate. I remember, without going into details, the 2008 real estate credit crisis. I remember seeing evidence of it two years early, but not not being smart enough to identify it. But certainly, history teaches us that you need to be prepared for asynchronous events, both positive and negative. While you can't predict them, you can construct a psychological framework and a financial framework so that you can take advantage of them rather than being taken advantage of by them. One potential black swan event that sits in front of us right now would be energy credit. The decline in oil prices from $60 to $35 a barrel impacts oil companies' ability to service their debt. And They have, this is an oversimplification, but two forms of debt. The senior secured revolving credit facilities are largely held with the big money center banks. And my suspicion is that we don't have to fear a run on those banks because the Fed will do whatever is required to support them. But an area of greater concern is probably the junk bond market. I heard from Bloomberg that 15% of all the junk rated publicly traded debt in the United States was issued by the energy sector. And many of these junk bond issuances are held in highly liquid income ETFs and high yield ETFs. And the difficulty comes if you have a lot of holders of these liquid ETFs redeeming or selling the ETF so that the manager has to sell the underlying assets to fund the redemptions. While the ETFs themselves are liquid, the underlying assets are highly illiquid. And this has the potential for a different style of bank run, a circumstance where ETFs, which are forced to do daily redemptions, are unable to do so because the assets that they hold in their portfolios goes no bid. And my suspicion is that were that to occur, The psychological impact that that would have on credit markets and then on equity markets could be severe, probably not as severe as the 2008 event, because the collateralized mortgage obligations and mortgage-backed securities market was so much larger than the energy credit market is today. But you could have a circumstance that was less severe than 2008, which would still be fairly severe. So, one black swan that I see potentially being on the horizon would be energy credit. I'm not saying it's going to occur, but it wouldn't surprise me to see it occur. And I think it's something that investors need to be cognizant of.
1: Do you think uranium will fare fairly well during this situation here that we have? It's really quite different from oil, and we need clean tech. What are your I, thoughts?
2: I do not. I think that the low energy prices that we see will keep the price of liquefied natural gas and compressed natural gas constrained. And that will allow the Japanese to be more constrained in restarting the Japanese reactor fleet. The near-term determinant of uranium prices from my point of view is the pace of restarts of the Japanese fleet, much like has been over the last two years. And ultra-low prices for petroleum and liquefied natural gas will allow the Japanese, I think, not to need to restart. The second thing is, of course, that a global economic slowdown reduces the need for and demand for energy of all sorts, including nuclear energy. So, the circumstance that we see in front of us in the immediate future is not good for the uranium business.
1: The main reason I initially requested this interview with you was to discuss royalty companies such as. Gold and EMX Royalty, which were both at the last Sprout conference that I attended in Vancouver. I believe it was the end of July, beginning of August last year. And you've invested in these companies, I believe. And my guess is because they're fairly well de-risked as opposed to a lot of the other uh, equities in the market. But I'm going to allow you to answer that question for yourself.
2: Let's start with a broader discussion of the royalty and streaming companies. Okay. This is a sector that I really love, from the biggest being... Franco, Nevada, all the way down through the smaller ones like the names that you've suggested. And I want to hasten to tell your listeners that none of this should be interpreted as investment advice. Nothing I talk about in terms of any of these names should be considered investment advice. I don't know you. I'm talking about my own portfolio. Agreed. The truth is, I love I love the sector. Royalty and streaming companies, that is the big ones at least, frequently enjoy 80% operating margins in an industry where the industry average is more like 10 or 14% margins. So, While the companies seem expensive on a cash flow basis, it makes perfect sense that you would pay up (laughs) for a high margin business. The second is it's not a capital intensive business. You don't have sustaining capital expenditures. You don't have new capital expenditures. The truth is that (laughs) in a sense, your gross is your net (laughs) after G&A. That makes a, a very, very, very good business. The third circumstance is that the high quality small companies get bought. By the big companies for a simple reason. The big companies are more liquid. They have higher share prices relative to their net asset value, and they use the lower cost of capital to acquire competitors that have higher cost capital, which is to say that the big royalty and streaming companies over time acquire the better junior royalty and streaming companies. The juniors have a different advantage, too, in that smaller transactions can move the needle for them. If Franco Nevada, as an example, was going to put in place a 30 or 40 million dollar stream, silver stream, as an example, it wouldn't matter at all. If companies the size of the two companies that you described did that, it would move the dial substantially. They're more leveraged. They are more nimble. Now, I need to caution your listener base. The royalty and streaming space is one of the few spaces in the mining business where capital can be raised today. And the consequence of that is that there are probably 10 new royalty and streaming companies coming through the bowels of the Australian dealer network and the Canadian dealer network. Every one of these new penny dreadfuls is going to claim to be the new Franco-Nevada. And common sense must apply. So I'm confining my remarks to the existing companies, large and small. The space is a space which, while risky, is substantially less risky than other forms of precious metals equities. The space, at least for the companies that have been in it for some period of time, is populated by management teams that are on balance better than the management teams that you see in other aspects of the mining business. And the royalty businesses we've described before, the royalty and streaming business, is simply a better business than other business plans which are offered up to you in mining capital markets.
1: Rick, is there anything else you'd like to add?
2: There is. One of the things that I like to do in interviews like this is allow the audience of the interview to access the body of knowledge that we have at Sprott. Specifically, any of your listeners or subscribers who want can email me personally. The email address to use is rankings, R-A-N-K-I-N-G-S, at com. In the body of your email, not as an attachment, include your current natural resource portfolios, including, of course, your royalty and streaming companies. And I will rank your portfolios, the companies, 1 to 10, 1 being best, 10 being worst, and comment on individual securities where I think my comment has value. I will also include by email a 100-year commodity chart to show your listeners where we are in terms of valuations relative to where we've been over the last 100 years, and a copy of the Barron's Gold Mining Index, which will put the current level of gold equities in a historical context. I think a picture's worth a thousand words, and these two charts are are wonderful indications of what the future might hold for us as natural resource and precious metals investors. And of course, having your portfolio reviewed on a one to 10 basis, one being best, 10 being worst, and getting comments is always worthwhile in terms of the implementation of the strategies that are suggested by those charts. Once again, names and symbols in text, send it to rankings, R-A-N-K-I-N-G-S at sprotglobal.com
1: Rick, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. I've enjoyed our conversation. Thanks for joining me today on the program.
2: My pleasure. Thank you.
1: I've been speaking with Rick Rule, the president and CEO of Sprout U.S. Holdings Incorporated. Learn more about Sprout Global by visiting their website, sprotglobal.com. High quality but undervalued mining stocks are finally starting to attract the attention of investors. Get the latest news and resource stock investment opportunities with a subscription to Resource World magazine. Published six times a year, Resource World features in-depth articles on mineral area plays, commodities of interest, and valuable investment insights by highly qualified market analysts, geologists, and mining journalists. Go to resourceworld.com to find out more.
3: Remember, all companies showcased on this program have paid for the privilege to be interviewed by Mr. Martin. Should you consider investing in them, do so at your own risk.
1: I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with Trey Wasser, the president and CEO of Ely Gold Royalties, trading as ELY on the TSX Venture Exchange and ELYGF in the U.S. on the OTC. Eagle Gold Royalties is a North American emerging royalty company with producing and development assets focused in Nevada and the Western US. Its current portfolio includes a number of deeded royalties and option properties which are currently generating revenue. All portfolio properties are sold or optioned on a 100% basis while the company retains royalty interest. Its option properties will produce royalties if exercised. Illegal's royalty portfolio includes producing royalties, fully permitted mines, mines under construction and development projects that are being permitted for mine construction. The company is well positioned to generate additional operating revenue through option and sale transactions, with a proven track record of maximizing the value of its properties through claim consolidation and advancement using its extensive proprietary database. Trey, welcome back to the program. Nice to have you on the air today.
4: Thanks, Alice. It's an interesting time.
1: Well, I just spoke with Rick Rule, as you know, a couple of days ago. And we talked about your company and another company, and we covered the gold, the physical metal, The equities. And as you said, these are interesting times. And I'd like your take on it. I noticed you put something out on a blog recently. You released a piece of information with your thoughts. We saw quite a huge drop in the market with regard to equities, a lot of selling, especially with the speculators. What are your comments, Trey?
4: Well, and speaking, since you referred to Rick, I suppose you're talking specifically for some comments on the gold equities. Correct. Well, I think last week was a very interesting week, and a couple of things. We entered last week, and actually for over the last month, have had record-long, net-long positions by the speculators in gold futures. And... That's something that usually doesn't carry through onto new highs, so we've actually been looking for a pullback in gold. And actually, at the first part of this market decline for the Dow and other markets, gold held up very well. But last week, we had a washout of the speculative long position, and these are guys that are leveraged hedge funds. They're also in the gold ETF, so that paper gold is what took a big hit and drove the price down from the high 1600s to the low 1500s. And then yesterday, a test of support at 1450. And that support held, and we hopefully now have washed out some of those speculators and have this market a little better positioned. But... In the face of this paper selling, I talked to some of my dealers, and I know Rick mentioned this too, is that huge demand for the physical metal. The U.S. Mint is out of Silver Eagle dollars. You literally can't buy them without paying a huge premium. On the gold side, I noticed Kitco, for example, is not selling anything into the United States for the most part. My dealer said, one friend of mine from Minneapolis, at Miles Franklin they have never seen, it just unprecedented, the demand that they saw for the physical metal. So that tells you something, that there's huge demand for the physical, but really we just needed to flesh out the speculators, and that flesh out was exacerbated, or helped, as the case may be, by the fact that these same speculators were probably getting margin calls and having to liquidate or being liquidated by margin clerks.
2: Well,
1: Trey, we saw what happened with physical gold, as you just spoke about. Now, tell us about the equities, because that's what I'm most concerned with, as well as our listeners.
4: Well, that's another story of, in some ways, paper versus physical, but it really was a function of the ETFs versus the stocks themselves. And we've all heard these stories and the concerns as all the markets have turned more and more to these ETFs as a way of investing and what the dangers of that can be. And in an illiquid market or fairly illiquid market like the gold space, this is what happened last week is that the ETFs, selling in the ETFs, just compounded the drop in the gold prices. Now, what happens with the ETF is you have a group of approved specialists who are called the APs that are supposed to keep the prices of the underlying stocks in line with the price of the ETF. And that premiums and discounts on the ETF should never move 1% in either direction. But what happened last Thursday was that the ETFs were dropping so quickly that the APs could not keep up. And even though they kept pounding the stocks down, there wasn't enough liquidity to continue to sell enough stocks. There weren't enough buyers at any price. So the ETFs, the main ones, the GDX and the GDXJ, closed Thursday at about 10% premiums to their net asset value. In other words, if you bought the ETF for $10, you were only buying about $9 worth of stocks. The other ETFs that are in there that really cause the problems are those three times and double time ETFs. And those, the JNUG and the NUGT, those are three times junior and gold stock ETFs. Those closed at 66% premium in the JNUG to its net asset value on Thursday. So, anybody who bought that on Thursday and wasn't aware, that stock opened down 66% on Friday morning. Well, Now things started going the other way, and of course the market bounced back a bit on Friday. The gold prices were down but seemed to be stabilizing, so there was buying, ended up having to actually start buying back some of these stocks. They started out some more selling, they overdid the selling, and ended the day where the ATFs were selling at a 10% discount rather than premium. That's why you're seeing this huge volatility continued on Monday. I want to say I saw Newmont Mining, one of the biggest, open up down $5 at 33 When the market stabilized and they figured out where they were and rebalanced the ETFs and all the dust settled, the stock traded as high as 42 I want to say it closed around 39 or 40. And that was in a day where gold was still down. So the ETF situation is something that has really exacerbated, exacerbated the selling in some very good stocks. The ones that are picked for these indexes, even in the junior space, are some of the better companies and producing companies and very strong junior exploration companies, as well as the royalty companies.
1: How is this affecting your calculus going forward with Ely? Does it change it at all? I would think it would just encourage you to pick up more royalties like you just did here in Nevada.
4: Well, we are seeing more opportunities come forward. Interestingly, you know, some of the deals that we've announced, needless to say, the sellers are very nervous and wanting to close as quickly as possible. But some of the other offers we've had out to people are now they're rethinking and saying, well, boy, maybe I should have the cash here as opposed to this longer term royalty position. So we are seeing more opportunity and luckily for us our stock has held up fairly well and we're in a position to be able to take advantage of those.
1: And how will you do that? You're cashed up? Do you have a line of credit?
4: We have a line of credit that we received last year from Eric Sprott for six million. That's Canadian but we did go ahead and draw on that line of credit about two weeks ago and converted it to U.S. dollars anticipating some strength in the dollar and weakness in the Canadian dollar with the oil price situation. So that's proved out to be a good move and of course the per purchases we're making in the U.S. are in U.S. dollars. So we're positioned well there and then our royalty income from these investments will be in U.S. dollars. So we'll get the benefit of converting back to the Canadian currency for our reporting. We're in a position where we will still be announcing more transactions.
1: So what you're saying potentially from what I'm hearing is that some of the fence sitters with regard to property owners and claim holders are getting a little bit nervous, and these transactions might happen a- sooner than later, perhaps. And you're certainly keeping your door open.
4: That's exactly right. We've got the projects that we really like, and we recently announced the VEK transaction, which was a company we're purchasing that is got five different royalties in it, two of which are near-term producing, one at SSR's Marigold Mine, and then this Wren property. And the Wren property is very interesting. It's right on strike with the Gold Strike Mine, which Barrick has produced over 55 million ounces there. The property has been drilled out in 2010 by Centera mostly, and Barrick in a joint venture that proved up about 2 million ounces. It's very deep ore, and so the drilling is difficult there. We think there's a lot more, but the plan at Berk now is to go ahead and drift into there with the purpose of mining the known ore and exploring for more. And we think that Ren property has huge potential. And so we had an opportunity again, that was a fence sitter, as you mentioned. And so we announced this morning that we purchased now a net profit interest, three and a half percent net profit interest to go with our one and a half percent net smelter royalty on the property and we were able to pick that net profit interest for five hundred thousand dollars and we just think it was a tremendous buy
1: and that is all the money that you are going to spend on that property everyone else is spending to develop to explore to put into production but you let's explain the royalty model and the beginnings of it which you covered over dinner recently in dallas when i chatted with you
4: the royalty company gets their money right off the top it's basically when you own a percentage royalty, either a net smelter or gross revenue royalty, your money, you basically own a percentage of the gold that's produced at the mine. In the case of a net smelter, the only deductions that the producer gets to deduct are those very end smelter charges when the concentrate or the dore goes and is refined down to 0.99. And those charges typically run 25, maybe $30 per ounce. So fairly insignificant. And those are what the bulk of our royalties are, is the net smelter. A gross royalty is just a step above the net smelter in that there's no deductions there. So it literally comes right off the top of sales based on that percentage. So any production costs, any expiration costs, any increasing costs are all borne by the producer and none by the royalty holder. Now, a net profit interest is a little bit different animal, and it's something we only purchase if we really like the asset and we really think there's a lot of upside potential. Because in a net profit interest, we are responsible. We do not get paid until, in this case, uh, Nevada Gold Mines, the Barrick-Newmont Joint Venture, until they have recovered all of their costs for drifting into the mine. In the case of Wren, they already have a mill, and they actually already have a lot of the underground infrastructure in, so we won't have to pay for that. But they do get to recover their purchase cost and their exploration costs and everything. And then going forward, again, it's a net profit, so they do get to deduct all their operating costs and everything else. So a little bit different animal and not as attractive as straightforward, but like I said, when we really like the asset in the case of Wren, we know we've got $2 million ounces there. So we think we'll make many times our money even after all costs are deducted. But also the upside at rent is we think it could easily grow to five to 10 million ounces given where it is. And if that's the case, we want to own as many royalty interests as we can on that property.
1: Well, these are very much long-term plays, and with a portfolio such as yours, you have a variety of projects that at any time can begin producing. You're not relying, like most junior mining companies, on one or two particular projects to take off. You've really, really hedged the situation.
4: Well, first of all, that is another real benefit, and why the royalty business is such a good business is that by rights, what we're taking is a small percentage of the gold from several, many different mines. And with most royalty companies, those mines are not only spread between operators, but they're also spread geographically. Now, in our case, we focus mainly on Nevada and Canada and 95% on Nevada. But luckily for us, I mean, we're very good there, and it's the number one mining jurisdiction in the world, and it's very safe and easy to get to, and we know it as well as anybody in the business. So with Ely Gold royalties, you don't get that geographical diversification. But you're right. We have now 42 separate royalties. We have three that are currently producing. And if you look at the recent purchase in the mine plan for Marigold, that will start producing in 2022. We're not sure about Wren, but what we understand is that they are starting to drift in there now. And once we get that transaction completely closed and get out on site, we'll be able to report more, but we think over the next couple of years, that one will be producing. Of course, our Fenelon royalty with Wallbridge, which has been very exciting, grown to over two and a half million ounces. And we think that could be producing by the end of the year. And then as you look at the portfolio, I mean, going out to 22, 23, 24, we just have an excellent growth profile of royalties that will become fully developed and producing.
1: So we can expect it's not a certainty, but a lot large possibility that we will hear from you again and again in the near future concerning possible acquisitions.
4: Tray. Well, acquisitions and sales. Don't forget, Alice, that a big part of our royalty portfolio is generated through our property sales. We currently have a portfolio besides our 42 royalties. We have 22 properties in our sale portfolio, meaning that third parties have purchased these properties or are purchasing them in over a four-year period. So that portfolio is generating, oh, this year, about two to two and a half million dollars in option payments. And those contracts typically run four years and that portfolio will continue to generate revenue. And as those properties roll off, and the option contract is completed in other words if they make all the payments they get a hundred percent of the property and we keep a net smelter royalty so that portfolio has some hidden gems in it as well we focus on properties that are at or near producing mines and then sell those properties to the companies that are producing at the mines. so those properties don't have to become large enough from a resource standpoint, a discovery standpoint. They do not have to be big enough to warrant building a mine. The mine is already there. They will just be properties that are explored and developed and the resources grown. Many of them have resources on them already, but those properties will become added mine feed and extend the mine life of a mine that's already built and operated.
1: Well, these are certainly very trying times for our nation, but the opportunities that are here now and arriving in the future are certainly making me happy today.
4: Well, it is interesting times, and we understand that our shareholders and potential shareholders are looking for opportunities, but certainly waiting to see what the outcome is going to be here. And I'm sitting here in Dallas, Texas, hunkered down as well. I can't see the ocean like you can, but I do want to end on a positive note. Let your listeners know that this crisis will pass. I think our country has some very bright people and a lot of ingenuity. And I think we will see the public clamp down and shelter in place and we'll get through this. I also think that we'll see a vaccine and a therapy for this virus come out really in the near future. And that will certainly help things, help people get through this. And I think the government is standing by, the governments all over the world are standing by to stimulate the economies and make sure people don't lose their jobs and make sure that the economy is ready to bounce back. And I think at least in the U.S., when it does bounce back with all this stimulus in it, I think the economy could be roaring again. And meanwhile, I think for gold investors, when you see these countries around the world printing money for this problem now, Similar to like in 2008, you see gold is going to be a beneficiary. And with this recent pullback, very similar to what happened in 2008, gold pulled back during the heat of the crisis and when it was sell what you can, not sell what you want to, and raising cash to cover other losses, that gold pulled back. But once the dust settled, gold more than doubled from there and went on to set new highs. So I want to think that the same thing could happen here.
1: Trey, it's always great to speak with you. Thank you so much for your time today and best wishes to you and your family.
4: Thanks, Alice. You be careful out there.
1: I've been speaking with Trey Wasser, the president and CEO of Ely Gold Royalties, trading as ELY on the TSX Venture Exchange and ELYGF in the U.S. on the OTC. Go to the company's website, ElyGoldInc.com. I'm Ellis Martin.
3: Subscribe to the Ellis Martin newsletter. It's free go to ellismartinreport.com and fill out the quick and easy pop-up form.
1: I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with David Cole, the president and CEO of EMX Royalty Corp, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange and on the New York Stock Exchange as EMX. EMX is a precious and base metals royalty company whose investors are provided with discovery, development, and commodity price optionality, while limiting exposure to the risk inherent to operating companies. EMX has a sizable global portfolio of assets and has currently over $70 million in the Treasury and no debt. Dave, welcome back to the program. Nice to talk with you today.
5: My pleasure, Ellis. Always good to be here.
1: How are you holding up in self-isolation there in Denver?
5: Well, I was out playing tennis yesterday. I'm not sure we're allowed to do that again today because we just got shut down, but things are going really well here. Super healthy. I'm taking lots of vitamins, getting lots of sleep, so I've never felt better.
1: You know, I've been taking zinc. Funny you should mention that. I've been taking zinc now for about six months because in our business, we travel a lot, and I'm always paranoid of getting sick, and zinc has been really good after a meal to build up your immune system. I take the tablets. I also Take the coldies, although I don't have a cold. That's like a tasty zinc cough drop that you can take after every meal. What are your thoughts on that?
5: That's interesting you brought that up. I'm a huge zinc fan. I've been taking zinc for a long time, always trying to fight those colds that we get while we're traveling around talking to investors and doing deals and looking at properties. So you'd be very interested to know that there's some key information available at medcram.com where they talk about the importance of zinc ionophores. And Elon Musk actually has been highlighting this. He's a fan of this stuff. And these zinc zinc ionophores, which would include hydroxychloroquine and chloroquine and quercetin. And quercetin is available over the counter. And what they do is they help take the zinc that's in your body because you're taking it in your multivitamin pill or you're taking your zinc supplements. It helps take that zinc and actually put it into the cell. And then when the zinc is in the cell where the virus attacks, the zinc interferes with the RNA, DNA replication mechanism of the virus and helps stop the virus in your body. And so those are very, very, very important. We've always known that zinc helps stop viruses and cold specifically. And of course, coronavirus is in the cold virus group.
1: So you're saying it doesn't allow really the rest of the body to become a host? It
5: certainly helps you fight it.
1: Now, we're not giving medical advice here. We're just talking, right?
5: Well, I'm just going off what the doctor said on MedCram. And those guys are professionals. They're giving updates. They're talking about the importance of zinc and zinc ionophores to put them into your cells of your body. Ask your medical professional.
1: (laughs) Definitely. So that's MedCram.com. Is that it? Yes. M-E-D-C-R-A-M. Yes. Dot com. Okay. Very good information. I just did a piece a few days ago. I don't know how many people saw it, but I you know I have extra time right now. So does everybody. I did a piece on the value of copper being an antibacterial agent, really, a metal that's been around forever. I understand the ancient Egyptians, I could be wrong here, were using it to protect their water. In fact, even bacterial water, water that was dirty, left in copper, the bacteria dies after a while. What do you know about this, being a big advocate of copper?
5: I keep a plate of copper in my water storage tank up at my cabin for exactly that reason. And that's one of the reasons why copper is such a great material to use in your piping, in your home. So, all high end homes have copper piping as opposed to PVC, and that's because that copper is antibacterial. And you're entirely right about the ancient Europeans storing water in copper vials and vessels as a mechanism to keep the water clean. You know, Robert Friedland talks about this all the time. Of course, he's a monster copper bull, but uh, he talks about the utility of copper on surfaces.
1: So, does that mean we can see perhaps a change in how surfaces are being made, recovered? Would we see countertops? Would we see surfaces in airplanes? I mean, all that covered with copper in the future, is that a possibility? And can that drive the market? Because that's what I'm pushing right now, because we've never had a lot of love in the copper space. And I know you have some copper properties. <laughs> I'll let you talk now, Dave, go ahead.
5: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. this, is, this is really good stuff. You know, Here's the deal, we don't need any new uses for copper. There's so many uses of copper already, but one more use, just stack it on, right? It's antibacterial properties are definitely important, and should they have more copper-coated surfaces in hospitals and doctor's offices, And in your home, in your kitchen, absolutely, absolutely they should. We should.
1: No prediction as far as whether this is going to hit the copper market or not. We just don't know, do we?
5: Well, I'm a copper bull regardless. You know, copper's in everything. Anything that conducts electricity or conducts heat or needs to cool things, radiators, refrigerators, the radiator in your car, air conditioning units in every high-rise being built around the world, on and on and on. The future of copper consumption is robust. If you add a new... Reason to buy more copper for the world—it's only going to stack on the mineral economists that I follow, such as Dr. Richard Shodi with uh, Minex.com. He's a uh, advisor to EMX actually, and according to his estimates, the world will consume as much copper in the next 25 years as has ever been produced throughout all of history.
1: Have we got enough of it? <laughs>
5: Well, we better keep the drill rigs going to keep expanding the deposits because the answer right now is no. But will geologists find enough over time? Yes. But at what price will be economics take it out of the ground? I think the price is going to go up in order to drive the cutoff grade down so that we have the resources to meet the demand.
1: Well, before we get into your latest news in Chile, let's talk about copper in your portfolio with EMX.
5: Oh, my gosh, you know, we've got some fantastic copper exposure, as you know, and that would include the huge deposit in Serbia at the Timok Magmatic Complex, where we have one half of 1% royalty that covers that. That's over a billion tons of mineralization at close to 1% copper plus a gold credit. And that's being expanded where there's 12 drill rigs turning right now, expanding that resource uh, being advanced by Xinjing. That's a a company maker within the portfolio. We expect to see that go into initial small-scale commercial production in 2021 and ramping up from there.
1: This is a really opportune time in the sector right now with the contraction of the entire world with regard to economies. Even the majors and the mid-tiers are scaling back and condensing their operations for a while. But with a company such as yours, a royalty company, with money in the bank, I see it as an opportunity. You can pick up things that perhaps were not going to happen before, some fence-sitters that weren't ready to sell. There's some real opportunities at a discount right now.
5: What better time to have close to 50 million US dollars in the bank and no debt than today. And you know, in a nutshell, you're 100% right. And we are short term, very bearish, long term, very bullish. And that's creating a buying opportunity. And we're here to analyze all the different opportunities that we see and, and that are being shown to us as ways where we can combine our intelligence along with our money to make accretive transactions.
1: And you just made an accretive transaction in Chile, didn't you, with Rivolo?
5: Yeah, it's almost embarrassing how inexpensively we bought those royalties. It works out to a little bit less than $3 per percent times acre, acre percent. And over some really prospective ground in Chile, we've been looking for a way to get a foothold in the mineral rights in Chile now for some time. And this is it. And now that we're there, we'll definitely augment that portfolio and grow it forward. But it was a great way to jumpstart that for an astonishingly small amount of money. Ravello owed us some money from a loan that we gave them, and that loan was repaid back in addition to some additional capital that we gave them for the whole portfolio of royalties, 18 royalties now, which brings our total number of royalties in the world up to around 88.
1: Well, you must be looking to bring that number up to 100, aren't
5: you? Got to round it off. <laughs> yeah very simplistically, you cannot own enough royalties. more, the better. More mineral rights, the better. More exposure to minerals, the better.
1: I've been looking at the stock, EMX stock, for a couple of weeks now during this crisis. And you took quite a hit. And I saw that as a buying opportunity. You've bounced back. You've always been strong. And you're more resilient than a lot of the miners out there. A lot of the resource companies, I should say.
5: You know, we're trading at the prices we were trading in December. So on the timeline, we haven't done that badly. I did personally take advantage of the drop in the price when it got precipitous and loaded up. But in round numbers, I think I bought about 50,000 more shares personally. And all those trades, of course, are reported. I've been buying for seven years, a big believer in our portfolio and the team that has built this portfolio.
1: So what would you say to people thinking about gold right now, for instance? And gold has survived very nicely during the last few weeks. And I see it as, well, if there was ever a fear story, it's here, don't you think?
5: (laughs) Well, you know, gold has a history of trading with money supply and dropping Is it $2 trillion they're going to drop from helicopters? Ellis, is that really right?
1: (laughs) I got my hands out like everyone else.
5: (laughs) (laughs) I've heard that with leverage, that actually represents up to $10 trillion in buying in the bond markets that they're going to do to come in and buy bonds. This is rather astonishing, unprecedented. They're talking about unlimited QE. Can't get my arms wrapped around how that can be responsible for any government to say that. But in any event, it's what they're doing a fact. And I believe that most people view that as bullish for precious metals.
1: Well, you're talking really to people that have the money to risk right now that aren't living day to day. I know there's a lot of people that are living day to day. And that's the thing that could absolutely, I don't want to say crush the dollar, but you know, drive it way down to where it's irrelevant, how much you've got compared to what it costs to buy something and driving up inflation. And that's where really gold becomes a, not only a fear hedge, but a trading utensil.
5: You know, that's always the possibility out there that helps add value to gold. We know that long term, over 2,000 years, gold's been a great store of value. Well, Goldman
1: Sachs came out yesterday with a report on gold saying that it's really time to invest in it if you can.
5: Well, I'd be careful about what they say. Okay, I'm going to scratch that (laughs) then too. (laughs) I think it's good to be a little contrarian. We've always loved gold's great commodity to be exposed to we want to continue to increase the amount of gold we have exposure to around the world, Ellis, every day.
1: All right. The next three months, what's the plan for your team with EMX? What have been the directives from high atop your mountain in Colorado?
5: Yeah, we've been spending some time thinking about this subject and talking about this subject right in the last few days. And what we want to do is we want to direct our greatest intellectual talent towards the 50 million bucks that we have in the bank and how to most astutely allocate that capital to the benefit of our shareholders. And so that's where we're focused. We're focused on sleuthing and identification of opportunities and then doing due diligence on those.
1: We had an amazing financial mixer in Malibu just before the lockdown here, and your VP of Investor Relations, Scott Close, did an amazing presentation. And there were a lot of new eyes and ears on the company here in Los Angeles, which really isn't used to being exposed to the resource sector. We had Guitar Shorty playing. It was a great musical event. And I hope to do it again. We hope to have you down here for the next event. I know you're big- big fan of music. Kudos to you for reaching out beyond the sector to provide new interest to your company.
5: Let's continue to do that. And next time I'll be there.
1: Fantastic, Dave. It's great to talk to you today. Have a great rest of the day and stay safe.
5: You too, Alice.
1: I've been speaking with David Cole, the president and CEO of EMX Royalty Corp, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange and on the New York Stock Exchange as EMX. Go to the company's website, emxroyalty.com. I'm Ellis Martin.
3: Subscribe to the Ellis Martin Newsletter. It's free. Go to ellismartinreport.com and fill out the quick and easy pop-up form.
1: I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with David Suda the president and CEO of Gold Terra Resource Corp., trading under the symbol YGT on the TSX Venture Exchange and in the United States as TRXXF. Gold Terra owns a 100% interest in the Yellowknife City Gold Project, encompassing 790 square kilometers of contiguous land within 12 kilometers of the city of Yellowknife. The project is located in the prolific Yellowknife Greenstone Belt, covering 70 kilometers of strike length along the main mineralized break in proximity to the former high-grade con and giant gold mines, which have produced over 14 million ounces of gold. The Yellowknife City Gold Project is close to vital infrastructure, including all-season roads, air transportation, service providers, hydroelectric power, and skilled tradespeople. David, welcome back to the program.
6: Thanks, Ellis. It's very interesting times to be back. These
1: are very interesting times, and I've read your recent news release, and it seems like everybody in your organization, for the time being, thankfully, is safe, and work continues at Yellowknife.
6: Yes, we are very fortunate, as you said. We have not been affected by this crisis directly. We don't have anybody who's been infected, but obviously we're a part of the human community and we do feel very much for everybody around us and in all parts of the world, so we are impacted in that regard. However, we did take steps to make sure that we kept our people safe. That was our number one priority. Again, we were fortunate to be right next to the city of Yellowknife where we were able to work to complete our winter drill program and stay in compliance with government regulations and all of the suggested health organization guidelines.
1: From what I understand, you've stepped out of the inferred mineral resource zone, the forty three one oh one resource that was estimated on November 4th, and you have some results back from the assay lab. Let's talk about that, Dave.
0: Yes,
6: we're finally starting to see assays flow back to us And this was a very interesting and important zone that we drilled. It was an area that was previously undrilled or relatively undrilled. There was one hole in an area we call the connector zone between Sam Auto Main and Sam Auto South. And it was inferred that the gold mineralization was continuous between these two zones. But we needed to drill it to establish that. And we were very pleased to find out that there was gold mineralization in all five holes that we drilled there.
1: Which means it's very consistent so far, and you're going to continue to look for that consistency, hoping to build this into a district-sized play. Am I correct,
6: Dave? In particular, on this target, this was a zone that we previously did not have access to. Winter drilling uh, permitted us to have access to this zone, and really what this does is, again, it shows continuity in the zone. It also allows us, to expand the resource in an area where we previously had not had a footprint yet or a pit. So always exciting when you can add a resource block that has previously been undrilled. Obviously, we have not done that yet, but the drill holes indicate certainly that there is potential here.
1: How do you feel the market with regard to Gold Terra has held up during the past few weeks?
6: I've been very impressed by the volume that's been trading. We obviously don't love our share price, but we also recognize the context of the market that we're in. And we've seen... Good volume trading. I think that when you see stock trade consistently at a decent volume, it shows that there's support at a level. And certainly at our current stock price around 20 cents, we've seen very strong support. I think a lot of that has to do with people's anticipation of the fact that after these holes that we have just recently released, we've still got another 26 holes to come. Certainly being in a position where we've completed drilling at Sam Auto, And we exiting that program will have a healthy treasury, which can tide us over through these tumultuous times is also a very fortunate position for us to be in. And I think that shareholders and prospective shareholders recognize that.
1: You're good for the go, knock on wood and all that, and hopefully looking to expand the resource. And I've got to tell you, I've been against gold being a fear story for a very long time. I thought it should be a happy story, something that everybody should own, having their safe, having their deposit box, collect some of the equities, that sort of thing. But now I think we've got the real gold fear story that everybody was talking about and has been talking about over the past, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years that I've been in the business. And one thing I'd like to add to that, once we put here in the U.S. between $2 trillion and $6 trillion into the market we really devalue the dollar, and the case for gold is stronger than it's ever been, Dave.
6: Yes. Well, we certainly have been looking forward to a time when gold regains its importance to the investing public. And, you know, there have been many who have foreshadowed a correction in the market, a broader correction in the market, and the fact that interest rates Would likely remain low and that eventually the dollar would lose its value. But we didn't imagine that it would come as a consequence of such a difficult situation as we've been presented with COVID. And I think that, as you mentioned, something like we are facing now brings fear into the equation. And that's also creating a lot of volatility. I think that there are still people who need to sell gold and gold stocks, certainly even treasuries need to sell gold in order to find liquidity for the programs that they'll put in place to support their economies. But longer term, we are very, very fortunate to be in the gold sector, I think. And again, it's not a globally a happy thought to think that comes at the expense of broader economic weakness. But again, you're right. Uh, Gold is now very much in the forefront and will remain so for quite a long time, I believe.
1: And with the majors and the mid-tiers scaling back production right now because of COVID fears, valid fears, that will create more of a demand in an already tight market.
6: Yes, Alice. Certainly, the troubles that gold producing companies are going to face amidst this crisis are those which will impact the supply and demand for gold. And I think, in addition to that, it's really important to note that there will be a demand for projects that can come into production quickly, that can come into production safely and efficiently. And that puts Gold Terra in a tremendous position. We're next to a town, we're in a country with a stable political environment. And certainly, as we're proving right now, by being able to safely maintain our operations drilling, we can imagine that the same would be of building a mine and putting it into production.
1: Well, Dave, I certainly wish you and your crew all the best in Yellowknife, the Northwest Territories, and where you are in Vancouver. Stay safe, and thank you very much for the update. I look forward to more news when you have it here. Thanks for joining me today.
6: Thanks, Ellis. Be well, and we look forward to talking to you again very soon with lots more results to come.
1: I've been speaking with David Suda, the president and CEO of Gold Terra Resource Corp, trading under the symbol YGT on the TSX Venture Exchange and in the United States as TRXXF. Visit the company's website, goldterracorp.com. I'm Ellis Martin.
3: Subscribe to the Ellis Martin newsletter. It's free. Go to ellismartinreport.com and fill out the quick and easy pop-up form.
0: Join us next time for more opportunities to discover on the Ellis Martin Report. Meanwhile, subscribe to the Ellis Martin Report. It's easy and it's free. Visit ellismartinreport.com. Do it now. See you next time.